mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it's another Mental Health Monday. Tis the season for SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. As the days get shorter and it gets dark earlier with the time change, we have strategies for coping with the winter blues. Also this morning, turning obstacles into opportunity. How business leaders, large and small, are navigating a changing work environment and volatile economy into 2023. And Habitat for Humanity's annual celebration dinner last week honored its families and volunteers and announced some big plans for the coming year. Executive Director Wendy McCormick will join us. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, November 7th, 2022. Hug a bear day, which strikes me as not really the best idea. Um, but if you <laughs> if you have a death wish, if you have nothing more to live for, you know, hug a bear day today. Um, National Bittersweet Chocolate with Almonds Day, <laughs> which again seems very specific, isn't it? National Bittersweet Chocolate with Almonds Day, not just any chocolate, not just any nuts. Bittersweet chocolate with almonds. National Notary Public Day. Big salute to all of the notary publics of the world. Where would we be without you? And it is Little League Girls Day today. So, reasons to celebrate uh, on this Monday. Are you uh, all caught up now with the uh, time change? I My wife is one of those weird uh, people who... I don't know that she necessarily uh, enjoys the times, time change, but she always... Uh, tries to look on the bright side uh, of things. She said, well, at least, at least, because I was griping yesterday that it was uh, getting dark at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I just, I I hate that. And she said, well, at least it'll get, uh, it'll get brighter earlier uh, in the day. The uh, sun will come up earlier, and she, and she said, I hate getting up when it's dark outside. Well, for me, that's a way of life. So, <laughs> that that is not... Uh, a big selling point for me because it doesn't really matter. But uh, I don't know how you feel about the time change. We're back on uh, standard time now, setting your clock an hour back. Uh, it says here might impact more than just your Sunday morning routine. Medical experts say the hour difference can have real health consequences when it comes to your sleep cycle. Now, normally it's the spring forward loss of an hour that we are concerned about uh, getting less sleep because the uh, light is lasting later into the evening is also a problem because it throws off our circadian rhythms. Our, our bodies tend to want to follow the sun and not the clock. And so we typically don't get to bed as early uh, when we are in daylight saving time and we lose that hour uh, during the time change weekend. We don't normally think much about fall back, but um it says here, uh, most of us feel the disruption in the spring and we lose an hour of nighttime. But even in the fall, as we are switching back, some people have a hard time adjusting. According to Dr. Jennifer Martin, it's sort of like having a little bit of jet lag twice a year. And it can take a few days to get used to that. Um, sleep deficiency has been connected to an increased risk of depression, heart disease, and more. And so... 
If you are still adjusting, the bottom line is don't feel bad because you are not the only one. We have a a new World Series champion. Did you uh, catch the uh, Astros? Finished off the Phillies over the weekend. And with the win by the Astros, a Texas businessman known by his nickname Mattress Mac. Mattress Mac is a multi-millionaire. He's multi-millionaire Mattress Mac. Now, Jim McInvale wagered $10 million on the Astros to win the series back at the uh, beginning of the year. So, now, he didn't wager $10 million on any single bet. He spread his bets across multiple sports books. Um, but when... The Astros topped the Phillies uh, over the weekend in Game 6, finishing off the series. Mattress Mac won nearly $75 million on his bets. Now, was that, I'm sorry, was it the beginning of the season that he bet on the Astros or the beginning of the playoffs? Um, If it was the beginning of the season, that's uh, much more impressive, but... uh, it might have been the beginning of the playoffs. Anyway, he's $75 million. Wagered $10 million, made $75 million. Caesars was the uh, biggest payout. He won $30 million of the Caesars Sportsbook. So, must be nice. He doesn't need to worry about the Powerball. He's doing just fine. Thank you. Um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame welcoming in seven new acts over the weekend. Pat Benatar, Duran Duran, Eminem, The Eurythmics, Lina Ritchie, Carly Simon, and Dolly Parton are now officially Hall of Famers. Saturday night in L.A., the induction ceremony, um, in addition to those seven new acts, part of the Rock Hall, Judas Priest and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis received Musical Excellence Awards. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are music producers, probably most famous for uh, Janet Jackson's comeback album, Control, the one that really launched her into superstardom. Uh, they were the producers of that album. They've also worked with, uh, I believe, uh, Madonna and uh, many, many other acts over the years. Harry Belafonte and Elizabeth Cotton picked, it, uh, picked up the Early Influence Award. But you won't be able to see the Hall of Fame induction ceremony until the 19th of this month. HBO and HBO Max will have the broadcast, but it won't be for another couple of weeks yet. I don't know why that is, but uh, anyway, we won't get to see it. Although, there are some bootleg videos on the internet if you are so inclined. This is big news. One of the the first things you need to know this morning, for sure. Um, Maybe if you are trying to get going here this morning, after the long weekend on a Monday, and especially with a time change, kind of get going with a mimosa this morning. Well, Tropicana, the uh, juice company, Tropicana, is offering the perfect accessory for your mimosa and it is absolutely free it is branded the mimosa maker and basically it's a spray bottle (laughs) i mean 
It says here it's a, a spray bottle, kind of like the ones that you can find at the dollar store. But Tropicana is touting its three nozzle settings, which you let you perfectly regulate your juice to champagne ratio. The breakthrough in brunching, they call it, that turns a Tropicana single-serve OJ bottle into a perfect mimosa-making machine. <laughs> it lets you add a whisper, a spritz, or a shower of juice to your bubbly. Uh, and you can have them for free. The company's Instagram page is holding a sweepstakes uh, to uh, let you get a hold of your own. There's a limited supply, but you can sign up to win one of the mimosa makers for yourself. Or just go to the dollar store and uh, buy one that way, I guess. And lastly, among the first things that you need to know this morning, this could be this day's news of most lasting significance, as Paul Harvey used to say, God rest his soul. This is, this very well could be this day's news of most lasting significance. Check this out. For the first time ever... Red blood cells that have been grown in a laboratory have been given to another human being as part of a trial into basically what is basically artificial blood transfusions. And we've talked about this on the program many, many times. We talk about donating blood and the need for blood and shortages of, uh, of blood supplies and needing donors and so on. And we highlight the fact that there is no substitute for blood, it is what it is, and there is no artificial substitute for blood. And it's almost kind of weird that that is the case, given all of the advancements in science, particularly medical science, that we don't have an, any sort of artificial blood, but it is what it is. Well, now, this manufactured blood, uh, these manufactured blood cells that were grown from stem cells from donors with the hope that in the future this could allow donor blood to be expanded into much larger volumes for transfusion. You would still need donors, blood donors. This is not fully artificial blood, but uh, it is a way of, uh, I guess, cloning blood. That's basically what they're doing, they're cloning blood uh, in the lab. The uh, trial is studying the lifespan of lab-grown cells compared with infusions of standard red blood cells from the same donor. At least 10 participants are expected to receive two transfusions of at least uh, two transfusions at least four months apart, one of standard donated red cells and one of lab-grown red cells to find out if the Red blood cells made in the laboratory last as long or perhaps even longer than natural cells produced in the body. I mean, if this turns out to be something, that could be a huge breakthrough in medical science. Uh, certainly uh, could go a long way to fixing the persistent problem of a lack of of donated blood. Just think of all of the ramifications that could have. Like I said, definitely this day's news of most lasting significance. So there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started.
WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today with a high of 60, just a few clouds tonight, a low of 37. Arlington Local Schools has an income tax and bond issue on the ballot on Tuesday. The 9.9 mil bond issue is for the purpose of building a new school, and we spoke with school board member Rachel Gerber about it. Our current building is over 100 years old, and even though it is very well maintained and taken care of, we are in a position where we just can't continue to fix things as we have. Rachel says they're excited to potentially move the school location and have purchased about 40 acres of land behind the school for the new building. Get more details on this and other issues and candidates you'll see on the ballot on Tuesday on the website. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says over the past five years, there have been more than 100,000 crashes on Ohio roadways involving deer, and 31 people have died in those crashes. Sergeant Ryan Papura with the Ohio State Highway Patrol says you do not want to swerve to avoid hitting a deer. That could, of course, result in an even worse crash. He says this time of year, when you see one... There's a good chance the deer behind it. So it's good if you do see one deer, start slowing, look around, look for that second or multiple deer coming. WTOL 11's Madeline Watkins reporting. Some Ohio lawmakers are fighting to make sure all Ohioans can take advantage of the state's new minimum wage of $10.10 an hour in January. But the new policy does not include an increase for Ohioans with disabilities. That's why lawmakers say they're working to end a policy that allows people with disabilities to be paid less called the sub-minimum wage. Democratic state lawmakers Bridget Kelly and Dontavious Geralds are working on a new policy that would allow Ohioans with disabilities to be paid the same as able-bodied workers. ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. Get more on the website. Hancock Public Health will be holding a COVID-19 booster clinic on Monday, November 14th. The clinic will be held at their offices located at 2225 Keith Parkway in Findlay. Moderna and Pfizer vaccines will be available while supplies last, and the flu vaccine will also be available. No appointment is necessary. Get more details on the vaccine clinic on our website. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning, it is another Mental Health Monday, and tis the season for SAD, which is short for Seasonal Affective Disorder. As the days get shorter, it gets dark earlier, now especially with the time change, talking strategies for coping with the winter blues. And we are joined by Family Resource Center counselor uh, Nikki Seidel, and uh, this is a real thing. This is not uh, just a... You know, a made-up sort of uh, sort of thing with the time change. This is a real no, thing that it people is a experience. Very real situation that that millions of people experience um, nationwide. Americans annually, you know, ten to twenty percent of Americans struggle with some form of seasonal depression, but about five percent are are clinically diagnosed with seasonal affective disorder. Well, that's interesting because uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, is this more prevalent among those who are already uh, diagnosed with depression or already struggle with depression? Or is this something that can that can hit you even if you don't have a history of depression? A little bit of both. So individuals who have a an already existing diagnosis of depression, mm-hmm. they are at a much higher risk. But there are there's a significant number of individuals who do perfectly fine, they feel good spring through early fall. And then Mm -hmm. as soon as that that fall change really starts to happen, and once darkness Mm -hmm. sets in earlier in the evening, there's a significant number of people who really begin to struggle. 
Now, we generally like to blame this on the uh, time change, but time change or no, it gets dark earlier and we have fewer hours of sunlight. And actually, it's kind of ironic we're talking about that as we are sitting here in the studios and the sun is streaming in to the the point where we actually had to pull the blinds because it's so, so bright. Is it, is it... Is that it? I mean, is it the lack of sunlight, or are there other things that go on here that play into sad? There's several things, but the light does make a significant, significant impact. Um, you know, with with increased in darkness, our body traditionally just produces more melatonin. Mm-hmm. So melatonin is what helps us sleep at night. Right. So we have shorter days. We have more darkness. Our body automatically produces more melatonin, mm-hmm. which makes us more fatigued, which is part of that feeling of depression. Yeah. But with the decrease in sunlight, we also produce less vitamin D, which is a huge component of the production of dopamine and serotonin within our body, which are both things that make us happy, give mm-hmm. us ambition, make us feel good. So the darkness does play a big part of it, but the the shorter days also come with cold. Mm-hmm. And right. we, we really struggle as a society with being cooped up. Mm-hmm. You know, we are a society of get out and go and do all the things. As evidenced by the increase in the number of uh, cases of depression during the pandemic. Yes, very much Mm -hmm. so. So those shorter days and the colder temperatures really makes a huge difference. And then, of course, we're coming up on the season with an awful lot of pressures uh, with the holidays, whether that's financial, whether it's dealing with family, and maybe there are some less than ideal dynamics there. So, you know, uh, obviously... This is something that just kind of compounds uh, on itself and builds and builds and builds. So, first of all, how do we recognize if this is something that is truly affecting us? Because we all have those days where we get a touch of the winter blues, Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily a cause for alarm if it's just occasionally, right? True story, yeah. Everybody has winter blues, down days. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody gets disappointed once in a while if right. they were hoping to go out and rake leaves and we wake up to gale force winds and spitting rain instead. I don't know that that's necessarily <laughs> a, a bad thing if we uh, can't rake the leaves, but I understand where you're going with this, yeah. But yeah, when we start noticing, most people start to notice a trend that late fall they they begin this kind of downward trend mm-hmm. annually. Yeah. So we look for that fall onset. Um, increased fatigue, social withdrawal, despite still enjoying family and friends activities, mm-hmm. there's just this innate withdrawal mm-hmm. um, with a lack of interest in activities. Irritability. You know, there's just this increased irritability. It doesn't take much to... Mm-hmm make something annoying anymore yeah Uh, elevated anxiety and there's there tends to be an increased appetite but we're not going for you know fresh fruits and vegetables from the summer we're looking for carbs and sweets which are 
quote unquote comfort food. Yes, which is great timing up, with Thanksgiving and Christmas right, typically. Which end up maybe not being all that comforting as it turns out. True because story, that could, yeah. Uh, also add to the uh, issues. So it's a matter of degree. So uh, yeah. occasionally not a big deal, but if this becomes more and more common, more and more frequent, if it's like an everyday sort of thing. Or look, yeah, then you're, when, when it's that daily event, mm-hmm. that's definitely a time to do some internalizing and think, how long have I been feeling this way? Yeah. So that kind of leads to the next uh, question. So how do we uh, cope with this? Some strategies for coping with this. Again, if it's only occasionally, uh, then what do we do? What can we do to maybe just kind of snap out of it? Yeah. If it's, if it's only an occasional thing, you notice, you know, once in a while, you're just feeling down when it's a little more dark. You can do some of the same things that I recommend when it is that SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder Diagnosis, Mm -hmm. um, sunshine and vitamin D. So if you've been feeling down for a couple days and the sun is shining bright like it is today, get outside, open the windows, open your blinds first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. Let, let whatever sunshine there is in and soak it up so your body gets that natural vitamin D. Exercise and movement. So getting outside and moving is harder to do when it's 20 degrees outside and right. windy. But even if it's just a, a, a little bit, a little bit of movement makes mm-hmm. a difference. And one of the things that is really effective, very effective, is phototherapy. So they make specialized light boxes that you can get online, you know, occasionally you can find them in stores, but they mimic sunlight. So turning that on while you drink your coffee in the morning and Mm -hmm. having it, you know, shining on, on the side of your face is significant. We typically see improvement in mood in about two weeks Hmm. when people use that daily. That's interesting because uh, that would be something that I think a lot of people would uh, think, oh, that's just a bunch of malarkey. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's a scam. It's just, you know, but it actually does work. It does. It does work. And one of the things that people quite often say is that they don't have time to engage in, you know, additional coping skills, go to therapy, go to the gym. But this is something that genuinely, as you're doing your makeup in the morning or sitting and drinking your coffee and reading the paper, you can just turn on that light and let it shine on you for 20 minutes. So then the question becomes, how do we know when it is something that is beyond what we can cope with ourselves? And we're talking about some of those strategies that can help us break out of that funk but how do we know when it's beyond that and there might be a need for uh, some more uh, significant professional help? Yeah, if, if you're doing all of those things, you know, you're doing all of the things that you can do on your own mm-hmm. and you're just not feeling better. There's no other way to describe that feeling. Yeah. You just know that something's still not right or if the depression becomes significant to the point where you're feeling hopeless, feeling worthless, having thoughts that, you know, the world would be better off without you because of how you're feeling. Yeah. That's when I really recommend to take your take your coping, take your interventions up a notch yeah. and seek some professional guidance, whether it's talking to your family doctor 
about how you're feeling, um, looking for a counselor to talk Mm -hmm. about some additional coping skills but it doesn't have to get to that level before i mean because i can i can hear some people say uh yeah i'm feeling down i'm feeling blue i've got this funk that i has been going on for a while but it's it's not like i'm suicidal so but that's it's still okay to seek out professional help yeah always you know if you're feeling this way on a daily basis and you want to check with your family doctor and see if there's you know, some vitamin D that you can add and Mm -hmm. see what else they recommend. I always recommend an annual checkup for everybody. And I think beginning of winter is sometimes a good time to do that. That's a good uh, good point. I mean, we talk about uh, getting that uh, routine checkup and maybe uh, talking a little bit about your emotional mental health yes. uh, is a, a good part of that that sometimes we overlook uh, when we talk. Again, uh, it is the season. Seasonal affective disorder, SAD, is a real thing, especially as the days get shorter, uh, gets dark earlier, and all of that, talking strategies for coping with the winter blues and Family Resource Center counselor Nikki Seidel with us this morning. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information. Nikki, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank you for having me. Well, as we know, in a post-pandemic world, the way we work has changed dramatically. Certainly, the economy has shifted dramatically. The resulting reality leaves business owners and executives with the challenge of figuring out how best to move forward into 2023. And given that this is the time when employers start to discuss their plans and their strategies for the new year, we are joined this morning by Dan Michelson. He is founder and CEO of the Internet Research and Collaboration Solutions Platform in common with more on the new YPO Global Pulse Report. So, Dan, first of all, what is YPO and what is the Global Pulse Report? Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I really do appreciate the opportunity. So I'm a member of YPO, one of 30,000 members. Uh, so there's about, CE, uh, uh, about CEOs from about 140 countries that are part of this group. And think of it as a professional association um, and a way for CEOs to collaborate and think about work and uh, and how work works, right? So there's companies with two people, all the way up to 200,000 people uh, mm-hmm. in this organization. So the average is probably somewhere between 50 to 100. But if you, if you added all these businesses together, I think it would trail only the U.S. and China in terms of GDP. So about I think overall about 22 million people are employed by companies that are uh, – you know, part of YPO. Yeah. And the, uh, so this is uh, quite a, a wide ranging and comprehensive report. This, uh, the, uh, uh, the report that we're talking about, the Global Pulse Report is uh, a survey of those CEOs about these very issues, right? You got it. You got it. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm one of them, right? So I was running a 500 person company for the last decade. I just uh, recently, I think you alluded to it, I uh, have a startup in, in motion called In Common that only has two people, right? So from <laughs> one extreme to the other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the feelings I'm feeling are, you know, and you're feeling and our kids are feeling and our friends and family are feeling about work. You know, it's very complicated and it's really tough, you know. So I was really curious um, if I was alone <laughs> in kind of my own little private world in yeah. terms of the way I was struggling with it. Uh, it turns out I'm not. And, uh, you know, we can kind of on uh, unpack that as we go through the conversation. Yeah. Uh, so talk about uh, some of the uh, findings here and what is top of mind among business leaders as we head toward 2023. 
Well, Chris, I don't think either one of these is is going to surprise you, but maybe they validate the feeling you're already having, right? So the first big headline is around business outlook. Um, and it turns out, and this is a little ironic if you want to look at it that way, that CEOs are actually more concerned about their future heading out of the pandemic than they were in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the level of optimism has dropped pretty significantly. And, you know, what's the punchline there? Obviously, inflation. So we could talk more about that. But, yeah. Um, Obviously, it's weighing on everybody. The second big headline, and once again, I don't think this is a surprise at all, and this is what we were chatting about just a moment ago, but it's really around company culture, right? So this whole shift in how work works has been dramatic, and and it's causing actually what's a very real rift between leaders and companies and the people on their team, and it's a really complicated problem, maybe probably the most complicated business problem of our time and one that we all share because this is a a global issue right now. And uh, there's sort of a reset on work and life that's in motion uh, that is uh, pretty complicated for all of us. I, with respect to those uh, two key findings there, you mentioned this dip in uh, confidence uh, in the, the outlook for 2023 down 20% as compared to last year and inflation being the key driver. Um, how is how is this different or is it different than previous economic downturns? Certainly, this is not uh, the first recession, possible recession we've faced. Um, you know, uh, this is not the first time we've seen high inflation in our history. What's different now? Is it just because we haven't seen it for so long? Maybe, um, you know, so I'm giving an opinion here, but I, I think history for many of us uh, is the present. Right. So you yeah. can look back to 2008. You look, can look back to 2000 if you lived through it. Many of the people who are, um, who are, uh, going through this process right now are like my, my daughter who just graduated from college are seeing it for the first time. Yeah. You know, and so I think we can call on those experiences, but how relevant are they to the moment? Um, no, it's, it's a feeling that people are having because they have to make very real decisions as they head into 2023 about what they can or can't do and the size of the team they can or can't have. And, yeah. and you're seeing, you know, obviously a boom in, in employment um, when things were going in a boom. And now that we're feeling a little bit of a bust coming on uh, regarding the impact of inflation and, you know, therefore people's outlook, you're seeing, you know, obviously people pulling back, you know, yeah. to some extent. So it's, um, you know, the, the, the future and the past is really depressing yeah. <laughs> in terms it, of how people are trying to process it. By contrast, the other part, and you're talking about workplace culture, and certainly, uh, as we said, there's been this dramatic shift uh, from uh, in-office work to remote and hybrid settings. And I know some CEOs and business leaders are more comfortable with that than others. And there's a lot of... You know, the the inflation and economic uh, uh, issues uh, are not necessarily uh, unprecedented, but this part really is. I mean, this is a shift unlike anything we have ever seen uh, before. So what is the what is the feeling there? What is the uh, outlook? How are CEOs kind of commiserating to navigate uh, this that we haven't seen before? Wow, there's a lot to talk about there, but I'll I'll, I'll try to stay <laughs> as brief as I can. So, so um, you know, there's an old saying: "Culture eats strategy for breakfast." Yeah. Uh, so right now, it's it's actually eating like three meals a day. <laughs> Companies and CEOs are really struggling. I mean, the workplace has become 
more transactional and transient. That's hard. The mentality shifted from what was kind of seen as collaborative within a company and a community-based approach to more combative. Um, and you're right, this whole movement to bring people back has only elevated the animosity. So if you compare the, um, you know, the beliefs of CEOs who are running hybrid or remote companies, even though economically it actually may make sense and because of inflation and because people are now feeling the burn, they're less likely, you know, to have, um, you know, the aptitude or the, the, the interest in acquiring space you know, than they did before, because that's an right. extra expense. So economically, there's there's some benefits here, you know, that that are part of the story. So it's, it's, a, it's a really complicated thing. But if you compare how CEOs feel for companies that are operating with people on site every day to operating 100% remote or even hybrid somewhere in the middle, there's a difference in how they feel, not on productivity, not on innovation. Their feelings are basically identical, which surprises a lot of people because I think a lot of people feel if you bring people back, you'll increase productivity. That was sort of the narrative that was out there. Our data shows that's not the case in terms of how people feel. But what they do feel is different is the great things that have that come from people being together, the relationships, the experiences that come from growth. And so there's a real crisis in confidence related to culture right now. And that's what is, you know, grinding at people to bring people together. I think bringing people back is probably the wrong terminology mm-hmm. and it's caused a negative rip. But bringing people together, actually, when you look at the data, I just saw this 15 minutes ago. So this is not our data, but it's, it's uh, basically a couple of data points I think you find interesting. 85% of employees would be motivated to go into an office to rebuild team bonds. 84% would go into an office if they could socialize with coworkers. 74% would go to the office more frequently if they knew their work friends were there. Not a complicated concept, of course. We would all agree with those things, but right. no one is going to feel about going to an office and just going on Zoom all day. You know, so this is about pragmatism, and I, I think to some extent optimism, because I do think this whole approach with work-life integration is actually much more healthy and better for people long-term. It's just a change, and it's like you said, it's actually, that's why I would love to go on a rift here. It actually is the biggest change in human history in a short period of time mm-hmm. in how we work and live, yeah. period, end of story. Going all the way back to the time when we were hunters and gatherers in the Stone Age. Yeah. Never has there been this dramatic of a change. As quickly, your point is, is spot on. Uh, it really is fascinating. What I think is interesting about this uh, is it really kind of lays the groundwork for many of the storylines that we're likely to be talking about with respect to employment and business over the course of the next year. It is the YPO Global Pulse Report. And again, Dan Michelson with us, founder and CEO of In Common. Where do we get more information on this report for those who want to kind of dig into the weeds on this a little bit? Yeah, Chris, you can go to one of two places. You can go to YPO.org. Or, um, you know, like I said, uh, the, the company that I'm actually part of, I'm a member of YPO, but I run a company called InCommon. So you can go to InCommon.com. Dan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, great talking to you, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Dumb, our dumb criminals of the day. This may be in the running for the dumb criminal of the year award. Uh, would go to a pair of thieves in Springfield, Missouri, who robbed a clothing store and managed to foil their own getaway. 
apparently the two thieves decided to drive to the store they were going to rob separately. Instead of just having one getaway car, they would then have two, and they would go in opposite directions, I'm guessing. It was the idea, and uh, that way they'd throw off the authorities, right? So, (laughs) police in Springfield say that they, in their haste to make a quick getaway, the suspects crashed their cars into each other. (laughs) Oh, what's that they say about the best laid plans? Um, (laughs) They crashed their cars into each other, and then after wrecking their vehicles, disabling their vehicles, the thieves took off on foot, but were quickly located by officers. No one was hurt in the crash, and... Suspects are now in custody. <laughs> Put that under the category of sounded like a good idea at the time. <clears throat> Elsewhere, today's broken news. How crazy is this? A uh, New York man who spent almost a year on the lamb, uh, on the run from the law for nearly a year, was found uh, the other day. At Walt Disney World, of all places, located at Disney World, and how he was caught is just crazy. Apparently, Inspector Jeff Andre was visiting the theme park when he saw Kushan Burton, a man accused in participating in an identity theft scheme and uh, absconding with some $150,000 in this scheme. So, so the cop is at Disney World with his family when he sees somebody who's like, boy, he looks familiar. <laughs> I think he may be a wanted man. And uh, as it turns out, he was the uh, wanted criminal who had been on the run from the law for nearly a year. At the time he was arrested at Disney World, he was present in the park under a false name, according to court documents. Uh, But Mr. Burton has been arrested and is being held without bail. (laughs) Oh, man, that's uh, that's just a crazy story. I mean, how what are the chances? What are the chances? And it's not like the inspector went to Disney World thinking he was going to find a criminal. He was just there vacationing with his family. And wow. Uh, Let's see here. This is rather unfortunate. Uh, Several dozen high school students in El Paso, Texas, may have to retake their SATs (laughs) after the exams, uh, the completed exam papers flew out of a UPS truck. (laughs) The uh, senior class, El Paso High School, was called into a meeting where they were told that some of the tests were compromised. (laughs) Apparently because they flew out the window of the truck. Um, Counselors are providing affected students with waivers to take the ACT college entrance exam at no additional cost. The college board also working with students and UPS issued an apology to the school. 55 students impacted in all. A UPS statement says our employees are working to recover as many tests as possible And we will work with the school to resolve the situation. (laughs) 
Man, that's embarrassing. How would you like to be the uh, UPS driver who had to uh, <laughs> who had to deliver that bad news? Um, I lost fifty-five SAT exams. Not a good way to. That's how you know you're having a bad day. Uh, no matter what happens to you today, if you have not lost <laughs> fifty-five SAT tests, these students then. Um, uh, things can always get worse, so you should count your lucky stars. Could be worse. Um, this is a story that I would never have thought that we would have had to say. I mean, these are uh, things that you wouldn't think you would ever have to tell people, but apparently the National Park Service is warning outdoor enthusiasts not to lick the Sonoran Desert Toad. <laughs> Do not lick the toad. Uh, apparently, these are rather large amphibians found across the American Southwest, and they secrete a potent toxin that, while smoking the uh, substance, can cause psychedelic effects. Ingesting it directly can make humans sick, and it could even be enough to kill a fully grown dog. According to the Oakland Zoo, the toads can grow up to seven inches in length. That's a big-sized toad, and they are identified by their distinctive call, which sounds like a ferry boat whistle. Hmm, kind of interesting. But the National Park Service posted a warning to their Facebook page, and they have actually posted signs. Uh, say the, the message uh, says, while with most things you come across in a national park, whether it be a banana slug, an unfamiliar mushroom, or a large toad with glowing eyes, please... Refrain from licking. So, some good advice, but I just cannot believe that we actually have to tell people do not lick toads in the wild. <laughs> I would think those would be words to live by. Do not lick toads in the wild. <laughs> but especially these toads would be very dangerous. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, just a... Uh, Strange story, an eyebrow-raising story, because we're getting into the busy travel season. People will be traveling for the holidays, and uh, a lot of people will be traveling with their pets, as they always do. Passengers uh, in Florida were somewhat confused when Haley Keene brought her pet on a flight. It was a pet fish in a full container of water. They boarded the flight with a fish in a container of water. Uh, Pluto the fish in his container was strapped into his own seat. Uh, Seatbelt securely fastened. I mean, she bought her fish a ticket. Uh, he can be seen enjoying Florida once the plane landed. Uh, according to TSA rules, a fish can fly if they are kept in a clear spill-proof glass or plastic container. Which is kind of interesting because whenever I go through airport security, if I've got any kind of water, they make me toss it out. But apparently, if you've got a fish tank with a fish in it, then the water is fine. As long as it's spill-proof. Um, Ms. Uh, Ms. Keene says that uh, TSA tested the water to make sure it didn't contain any explosives and then let the fish through security. 
because the fish wasn't carrying anything, you know, any dangerous weapons or anything. Every airline has its own rules, uh, the TSA points out, so be sure to check before bringing your own fishy friend uh, for your holiday getaway. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. I've never seen a fish on a plane. I've seen dogs, seen other animals on uh, planes, but never a fish. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth. Using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, the Black Friday deals are already starting to pop up as retailers uh, try to encourage people to get out and spend money. Uh, for the uh, holiday season, uh, retailers are responding to the reports that uh, maybe people are going to be a little bit more frugal. So they're trying to give me more enticements out there, starting the uh, sales earlier and earlier. Most of the early Black Friday sales, the early uh, Christmas shopping sales right now, center around online uh, purchasing. But something interesting is happening. According to a new survey of 2,000 adults, Shopping in actual stores is in vogue again. 43% of Americans in this survey say they miss the chaos of shopping in person on Black Friday. Uh, 95% of those in the survey plan to participate in Black Friday and or Cyber Monday events this year, with one-third planning to shop both online and in stores. Uh, now, obviously, not having to wait in lines is one of the big things about online shopping that is appealing. But the survey showed that 63% consider in-person Black Friday shopping to be a tradition, and more Gen Z respondents than millennials cited the immediate fulfillment as their primary driver to shop these events in person. Uh, 81% versus 49%. So as many as 81% say just having that in your hands at the moment you decide to buy it, as opposed to having to wait for it to be delivered, is a a big driver. Overall, 42% said in-store Black Friday shopping holds more importance now than it did before the pandemic, including nearly half, 49% of male respondents. So particularly for men. So last week, the folks at Habitat for Humanity held their annual celebration dinner, honored their families and their volunteers, and talked a little bit about the plans, big plans for the coming year. Executive Director Wendy McCormick is with us in the studio this morning. And uh, a great year 
Had a uh, terrific year. How many builds this year? We did four new homes this four year. New yes. Homes. So yeah. very busy this yep, year. Very busy. And the successful relaunch of Critical Home Repair. So we've been able to serve over 20 families with that, with the relaunch in May. It was asleep during COVID. We couldn't climb around people's homes and help during right. COVID, but yeah. we're back at it. That is awesome news. And again, you couldn't do, like we said, the uh, celebration dinner honors uh, the families who have, have put in their own work and they their own sweat so in hard this. so hard over 400 hours of sweat equity for each of them and down payments and financial education through our financial yeah. opportunity center it's it's they've been very busy it is and well deserved yeah it is a, a a lot goes into uh becoming a part of the uh habitat program and then of course the volunteers you celebrate because you couldn't do it without the volunteers yeah, uh, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and thousands of volunteer hours make it possible and uh, to take a breath uh Wednesday night and just say thank you to so many Mm -hmm. and then celebrate some of the special ones that are superstars. Not that they're all aren't superstars, Mm -hmm. but uh, some just really commit and give so much time and energy. Uh, We recognize Stephanie Paul Partee for the Paul Geyer Award, Mike Bailey and Todd Williams for the Golden Hammer for all the work they do on electrical. And then our youth volunteer was Maya Watercutter for all her work over in the ReStore. You know, uh, that's an interesting part of it, too, that we uh, sometimes don't say enough about are the young people who yes. uh, are involved. I know we were talking before we went on the air. You've got a, uh, a large campus. Uh, yeah, you know, the University campus. of Finley Habitat campus chapter. And yeah. and uh, so many students have service hours because University of Finley believes in that. But mm-hmm. uh, our campus chapter travels every spring break to build homes for Habitat. And they're there. They were there doing a mural and over in the ReStore just last week. They're just really engaged and really involved, really proud of the youth. Yeah. Uh, so really, it is the entire community coming together to make the community better for all. It and, takes so much. You know, yeah. first you have the fundraising that goes in and we rely so much on community donors, churches, corporations, individuals, mm-hmm. uh, and then all the volunteers that step up. We need 300 volunteers to build each home in six weeks. And and uh, and then the critical repair programs, our restore running, your donations to the restore uh, it all makes it all happen impossible. We couldn't do it out with the community. We're just so grateful. Yeah. And uh, as a part of the event last week, you were talking about uh, plans for the coming year, and uh, it's going to be another big one. Yeah, we try to take a breath Wednesday night and then the same breath say, are you ready for more? So <laughs> uh, we're building four new homes again next year, two in the spring, two in the fall. Uh, we were very proud to announce that Marathon Petroleum Corporation is going to build House 56 with us in the fall. They're providing all the funding and all the volunteers. So, so excited about that. Whirlpool stepping up with all the appliances again and, and all the work they do. And then we're building with the faith-based community in the fall, too, a full what we call apostle build. So the church community will be stepping up again. We do that about every three years. And uh, we're very excited to have the apostles come back. Kind of take us through the process uh, for a family to become a Habitat uh, Absolutely. family, to, well, to get a Habitat The good home. news is what I like to put out is that we're accepting applications all the time. So there's no waiting period. There's nothing. When, when you, if this is something you think you want to pursue, 
Uh, go online to HabitatFinley.org, click on Own a Home, and fill out the application. It's a one-page application. It'll get you started. And uh, you'll meet with our team. Um, you'll start with our Financial Opportunity Center. Uh, we'll take a look at your financials because we're going to be your bank. So we want to make sure that you qualify for the loan. Uh, most of our families are in the program for a year or two, just getting ready for home ownership. Mm. Uh, our families don't qualify for conventional mortgages. So if you tried to walk into another so, bank and got declined, yeah. you're probably going to be at Habitat. So uh, because, but there is still that that qualification procedure. So if you're not looking at the same thing the banks are, we're clearly, yeah. what is it that you are looking for? So we're looking uh, to see what your affordability is. So do you have income? Can you help pay for your mortgage over the next 30 years? Mm-hmm. And um, what are your debt uh, issues? Uh, because we want your debt to income ratios to be in alignment and uh, make sure that we're not setting you up for failure. Mm -hmm. So we might ask you to pay off some of those debts before we would work with you. Um, We actually ask you to take Dave Ramsey Financial Peace and start putting some savings away for emergency funds and and those kind of things. So um, some key success factors excuse me, some key success factors before uh, you can own a home. And then once you are accepted, once a family is accepted, then there is a process, there as is. you mentioned, yeah. uh, to go through to make sure that that is sustainable moving forward. Absolutely. So maintaining your employment is mm-hmm. critical um, and what your, what your uh, income is. And then keeping those debts in line and then uh, sweat equity. So you'll be helping to build your own home. You'll be working with Habitat and the Restore. Uh, a minimum of 400 hours for uh, one-person households. Uh, Two-person households have to put 500 hours in. Uh, so, And they can get help from family and friends to accomplish that. But mm-hmm. again, that's why we want you in the program for a while. That's almost like taking on another full-time job. Yeah. Uh, so we want to make sure you have the time to be successful. It's it's really interesting because uh, for most of us, we, we buy a house. I mean, there's a lot that's involved in purchasing a home anyway. But, can, but imagine uh, spending a year or two years preparing for this when... Those families finally get the keys. Yeah. Uh, they've been through everything that they've been through in preparing. Then they have helped out with the building process. Then to get the keys, you can really see how emotional that must be. Our, our, we have no foreclosures in our family uh, mm. portfolio. And that's because the families have worked side by side with the volunteers who've cared yeah. for them and help build their own home. They understand what it takes to care for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really want to be successful in home ownership. And a key part of all of this, just to underscore it, these are these are not homes that are given to families for free. Yeah, they are paying a mortgage, a low-interest mortgage, uh, back for 30 years. So mm-hmm. uh, they understand what it takes to care for the home. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that then helps to fund the next it one. does it it all yeah. if, again uh, the restore uh, raises about 36 percent of what we need for the entire year uh, we get some funds back from the mortgages uh, the time value of money over 30 years is mm-hmm. is not great uh, at zero percent interest right uh, so we still need the community's donations to be able to help fund what we're doing and, and build those homes uh, so if folks want to help as you mentioned you've got a big year planned uh, with four more homes to build and families to help if folks want to be a part of that, how do they help? Sure. Uh, They can uh, call at 419-429-1400 and hit extension 5. Uh, That's our volunteer and donations coordinator. So he'll direct you either way. If you want to volunteer and give you your time, give of your donations, 
or give of both. Uh, we'll find you a spot um, for whatever program works for you. And you mentioned the ReStore uh, is another great way for people to help either through donations or uh, shopping at the ReStore. And please shop at the ReStore. We're open Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5. Uh, we're out at 1200 Commerce Parkway. Uh, we'll accept your donations. We'll come to your home for free and pick up. And we're launching an online store and delivery. Awesome. So, awesome. Uh, all kinds of good things happening at the store. All right. And uh, once again, for the benefit of those who may feel as though uh, Habitat could help them get into a home, or if you know someone who you think would be a good candidate to be a Habitat family. Exactly. Um, uh, call our office. Again, 419-429-1400. Uh, we will uh, get you an application or visit habitatfinley.org. Uh, if you own your home currently and have been there at least two years and you have some repairs, uh, go to the repair tab. Uh, if you want to be a homeowner, go to own a home, fill out those applications and we'll give you a call, get oh. you started. Big shout out to all of the volunteers that thank make you, it happen you, over you. the past year and those who will in the coming year. Execu- Executive Director Wendy McCormick from uh, Habitat for Humanity. Habitat for Humanity, Finley and Hancock County. Uh, Wendy, thanks very much for coming by. Thanks so much. Thank you, community. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the media narrative about the significance of the midterms is that it is the first national election since the riot at the Capitol. But the real significance is that it could dramatically change the balance of power in Washington. We're going to preview an analysis of the races to watch as the results come in. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Oh,